and welcome to the Digiday Podcast. My name is Kaylee Barber. I'm a media editor at Digiday. I'm Tim Peterson, senior media editor at Digiday. This is the premiere episode of a special two-part series that we have on the Digiday Podcast this week. It is brought to you by our colleague, Kate Kay, and she put together a great mini-series um, that Tim will explain a little bit about. Yep. So the miniseries is called Kill Your Algorithm. Kate's been doing a lot of reporting around the Federal Trade Commission in the U.S., um, as well as you know just everything that's been going on with respect to privacy and data and antitrust. And so this podcast uh, miniseries is a way for Kate to build on that. But um, let's bring in the expert to talk about what Kill Your Algorithm is. Kate, welcome to the podcast. Yes, thank you. Uh, so, you know, I mean, over the past few months, we've seen um, the FTC, I think, get a lot of attention um, for being becoming sort of more contentious, more partisan, more politicized. And there's also been a lot of interesting changes happening under the new chairwoman of the FTC, Lena Khan. Um, and, you know, I, I what I wanted to do with the podcast is try to address some of the really wonky kinds of policy questions and changes that um, and actions that the FTC takes and, you know, try to explain, here's why these things matter. Here are the implications for the FT if the FTC becomes more aggressive, um, which is sort of signaling now, but we're not seeing any major things happening yet, but there are some. Um, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean for people who use apps? Uh, what does it mean for companies um, in the tech world? And so the the podcast is really focused on, you know, on the tech questions, data privacy and antitrust issues and how the FTC is addressing them. The first episode is kind of zooming in on a specific case. Um, people might be familiar with a um, an app called Flow, which is a period tracking app. And uh, the FTC earlier this year settled with Flow Health, the maker of that app. Um, they alleged that the company was sharing data with um, other firms like Facebook and Google from the app without the permission of the users. And so that was in violation. That was basically considered by the FTC to be a deceptive data practice. Um, so I dig into that case and some of the questions and concerns about how the FTC addressed it and could it have been more, could it have been tougher on flow and um, what it's doing now to sort of set itself up to maybe be tougher when we talk about future cases and how the FTC addresses things like um, health apps and, you know, fitness apps and things like that in the future. Um, and then the second episode is kind of zooming out to some of those things like the politicization of the agency, partisanship happening inside and outside the agency as legislators um, try to get more funding and resources and staff for the FTC because, you know, we have these situations like uh, the Facebook whistleblower situation where more and more legislators are like wagging their fingers at um, at Facebook and, 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 you know, all the big tech companies and saying, we have to rein in these algorithms. Um, 
you know, but the FTC is really the agency that's probably going to be the one that has to do that. Um, and they need more money. But you have the same Republicans, for example, uh, people like Ohio's Jim Jordan, um, really very vocally um, admonishing big tech. But at the same time saying, eh, I don't want the FTC to have that money like they're they're this woke agency that is totally liberal and radical. And, you know, so there's a lot of really interesting questions happening. And um, the kill your algorithm um, name for the podcast um, has an actual association with how the FTC might get more tough on tech companies because um, in recent cases, in two recent cases, including its case against Cambridge Analytica, it actually forced that company to destroy the algorithm that it built with deceptively garnered data. And it could do more of that. And so, you know, the, the podcast series re really tries to get those pieces um, together and explain why it matters. Awesome. So first episode coming up now. Stay tuned for the second episode coming out next Thursday, October 28th. Um, Kaylee, I guess we should clear out and hand over things to Kate. Yeah. Thanks, Kate. Thank you, Kate. Yeah, thank you. For some people, uh, for some women, this was a violation, not just of privacy, but of, of spiritual beliefs and religious beliefs. This was a huge problem for them and brought them great shame. Pam Dixon is the executive director of World Privacy Forum, an organization that provides research and guidance related to all sorts of privacy issues. When people found out that a period tracking app called Flow may have shared intimate data about their bodies without their permission, a lot of calls came into her group's privacy hotline. When people of, of an app learn that their data is going to one of these um, large tech companies that they were not aware of, uh, when they signed up, it makes them very nervous. And I think that's fair. So they'll call our um, our office line, which is a VoIP line and takes a lot of messages. So in case you don't use one of these period trackers, they've become pretty common. Like many of the other period tracking apps, people use Flow to monitor their periods to see if they're late, to know whether it's prime time to get pregnant, to plan when the best dates for a beach vacation might be, or if they're a little on the older side, to measure how their menstrual cycles change as menopause comes into the picture. To make the app's predictions work, people submit all sorts of really personal information about their bodies, when they were sexually intimate, whether they had sex-related problems, and even when they experienced premenstrual symptoms like bloating or acne or depression. It was alleged that between 2017 and 2019, Flow Health, the maker of the Flow Period and Ovulation Tracker app, shared that type of personal health data with companies including Google and Facebook. And that data sharing may have affected a lot of people. Tens of millions around the world use the Flow app. Maria Jose is one of those many Flow app users. She lives in Medellin, Colombia. When we spoke in September, she was 14 years old, about to turn 15. Because of her age, we're only using Maria Jose's first name. She told me that the boys at school bullied her and other girls about their periods. 
is not a good topic to talk about and you can get bothered a lot. Like bullying, like they start to tell you like, oh, do you have that, that gross? When I started like my period, I talked to my friends and they recommended me the flow up. I just started using it. I really don't break the policy apps, the privacy. Like I just started and yeah, it has been very amazing that app. I like that it ha like tell me when I'm going to about to start so I don't get like any, yeah, like in the school or anything. So you don't have spots and up places you don't want them to. I, I had that happen when I was about your age. <laughs> I remember the company was sharing information that might have, like, for instance, people like you when they use the app, you know, and you say, hey, my period started, that information could have been shared with Facebook and Google and other companies. And there's a chance that it could have been used um, for, say, targeting ad advertising or for Facebook to use for its product development and research. We don't really know. What do you think about that? I'm not going to stop using like the app because it's very useful, but it bothered me a little bit that yeah, it can be leaked very easily. Maria Jose explained to me that she didn't like the idea of the Flow app linking data about her period or premenstrual symptoms to data that other companies, such as Facebook or Google, have. She was right to be concerned. When people enter data into an app like Flow, it usually doesn't stay just in one place. It travels, and often it's combined and connected to other data. And when a period tracker app like Flow shares information with Facebook or other companies, it can be linked up with other information about someone and used to paint a more vivid portrait of who they are and what's going on in their lives. Facebook, for example, could have taken a piece of information like someone gained some PMS weight, and it could have aimed an ad at them promoting a weight loss product, or it could have even categorized her as someone who is at risk for fertility problems associated with weight gain and bloating. Here's Pam Dixon again. A lot of times where the problems come in is when there's unknown secondary uses of information you entrusted to, you know, a technology company or a retailer or to anyone. And I think that that's where Flow has, has gotten in trouble here. And the thing is, information about periods or fertility or whether someone is trying to conceive a child, these aren't just data points. They are personal, sensitive issues. People like Maria Jose are bullied. Women and girls in some parts of India are forced to stay in menstrual huts, exiled just for getting their periods. And information about when someone is on their period takes on a whole new level of risk for trans men or non-binary people. There is significant concern, and not just from people in the United States. There are people from other countries who are very concerned about this. And the anxiety is actually, in some cases, stronger in other countries. And there's more anger. In some cultures, uh, periods are, are, they're not controversial, but 
they they are very personal. Um, in the U.S., I think uh, we're more open about these things, and we view it as okay. Well, this is a part of health, and you know we talk about it, but it's not that way everywhere. And in places where it isn't that way, to have this kind of breach was a really big um, problem. I think being told that well, it's just a number, and you know all of these things. I mean, the problem is, is that once there's been a breach of trust like this, it's really hard to get it back. And it's because we don't have enough transparency into what actually happened. I think there's an ongoing lack of trust. So you're probably wondering, aren't there laws against what Flow Health did? Can't the government do something when a company shares sensitive personal health data without permission? Well, yeah. There are laws against deceptive business practices like these. And there's a government agency that is set up to protect people from the unfair data sharing that Flow Health allegedly enabled. In fact, that agency, the Federal Trade Commission, or the FTC for short, is exactly what we're here to talk about. My name is Kate Kay. I'm a reporter covering data and privacy issues for Digiday. And a lot of my reporting deals with the FTC and how it is changing to get a better grip on a largely untamed tech industry. This is part one of Kill Your Algorithm, a two-part podcast about how the FTC is getting tougher about how it's trying to lasso data-hungry tech, about what a more aggressive FTC might mean for tech companies and the people who use their apps and websites, about how partisanship and politics is influencing the FTC's future, and about how its past could get in the way. The FTC investigated Flow Health and eventually lodged a complaint against the company that was made public in January 2021. They found that even though the company promised users it wouldn't share intimate details about them, it did. The FTC said that Flow disclosed information revealing things like when users of the app had their periods or if they had become pregnant. A 2019 Wall Street Journal expose that got the FTC interested in investigating Flow walked readers through the process. How software inside the Flow app records information, say about when a user is ovulating, and passes it to Facebook, which can then use it to target ads, maybe for fertility services. So in the end, the FTC did what it often does in these sorts of situations. It settled with Flow Health. Following the investigation, four of the FTC's five commissioners voted in favor of finalizing a legal settlement with the company. It demanded that Flow Health make some changes to its app and its data practices to ensure it would never share people's intimate health data without their permission again. It required the company to ask people in a clear and prominent way, like right up front when they download the app, if they're okay with Flow sharing their health data. That meant Flow Health couldn't continue to bury information about data sharing in a privacy policy that most users never read. 
The settlement also said the company had to tell people using its app that their data had been disseminated to companies like Facebook without their knowledge or permission. Finally, the FTC ordered Flow Health to tell the other companies it shared its users' data with, like Facebook and Google, that they'd have to destroy that data. Flow declined to be interviewed for this podcast, but the company sent a statement claiming that at no time did Flow Health ever sell user data or share it for advertising purposes. The company said it cooperated fully with the FTC's inquiry and stressed that the settlement was not an admission of any wrongdoing. But there's a lot of stuff the FTC didn't do to penalize Flow Health. It didn't slap any fines on the company. And it didn't get money for people who were violated when Flow Health, without permission, shared details about when they got cramps or felt bloated or were ovulating or got depressed. Some people believed the settlement was more of a light slap on the wrist than any kind of tough penalty. They worried that the FTC didn't enforce a specific health privacy rule, one that would have forced the company to notify its app users in the future if their personal health data was shared or leaked. Even two of the FTC's own commissioners wanted the agency to go further by applying that rule. It's called the Health Breach Notification Rule. The Health Breach Notification Rule not only requires companies to notify people affected by a breach of health-related data, violating it could pack a punch. Companies can be fined more than $43,000 for each violation per day. But in the decades since it's had the authority to apply the rule, the FTC has never once done that. It wasn't even applied against flow. FTC Commissioner Rohit Chopra voted yes on the settlement against Flow Health with some caveats. He argued that the FTC should have charged the company with a violation of that rule. Enforcing it against Flow could have been a sign to other health app makers that the FTC is getting tougher on health data and app data privacy. Chopra spoke about it during a September FTC meeting. Flow was improperly sharing extremely sensitive data with Facebook, Google, and others. And rather than sending a clear message that the text of the health breach notification rule covers this activity, we demonstrated again that we would be unwilling to enforce this law as written. So it turns out that during that meeting, just a few months after the Flow settlement, the FTC decided it would put more emphasis on that rule in the future when it comes to data sharing by health apps. Not everyone agreed. Two FTC commissioners voted against the idea of enforcing the rule against health app makers. They said that data sharing without permission isn't the same thing as a breach of data security. Even though the health breach notification rule seems kind of wonky and in the weeds, here's why it's important. The FTC has a set of tools it can use to protect people when their privacy is violated. And this rule is one of those tools. So it's just the sort of thing people like Commissioner Chopra and his fellow FTC commissioner, Rebecca Slaughter, want to see the FTC actually use. 
in order to take full advantage of the rules and powers they have right now. I spoke in July with Commissioner Slaughter. We don't always need new rules. We have a lot of rules that we don't always enforce or don't enforce as broadly or frequently as we could. Um, and so making sure we are really examining our entire toolbox and applying everything that is applicable, even before we get to adding new tools, is, is something that I thought was important for several years and is particularly important as we tackle novel types of problems. She means new types of problems. And in some ways, she means new and novel problems brought on by data-gobbling tech. The Flow case, it's just one example of why the FTC has garnered a reputation as being too weak. Let's talk Facebook. The FTC has gone after Facebook more than once, but many believe it just hasn't cracked down hard enough on the company. Back in 2012, the agency settled with Facebook, resolving charges that the company lied to people by repeatedly allowing their data to be shared and made public, even though it told them their information would be kept private. The FTC ordered Facebook not to do it again and said it would monitor the company closely to make sure it didn't misrepresent the privacy controls or safeguards it has in place. But then Cambridge Analytica happened. It's an online information war where often unseen hands harvest your personal data, tapping into your hopes and fears for the greatest political yield. In 2014, you may have taken a quiz online. And if you did, you probably shared your personal data and your friend's personal data with the company that worked for President Trump's 2016 campaign. I found out that the information that was passed on to Cambridge Analytica was my public profile, my birthday, my current city, and my page likes. Kogan combined the quiz results with your Facebook data to develop a psychometric model, a sort of personality profile. Zuck is finally speaking out about Facebook's Cambridge Analytica scandal. So this was a major breach of trust, and, and I'm really sorry that this happened. There was no shortage of media reports and investigations into Cambridge Analytica and how the company's psychological ad targeting influenced voters in the 2016 election. The FTC had authority to do something about it. They said, wait a minute, Facebook. By letting that data gathering happen on your platform, you violated our 2012 agreement. So in 2019, the FTC charged Facebook with deceiving its users about how private their personal information really is. And it fined Facebook what the FTC called a record-breaking penalty, $5 billion. But not everybody was happy about it. Some said the settlement was another lame move by the FTC, Along with lots of FTC observers, both Commissioners Chopra and Slaughter pushed back hard on what they saw as a feeble settlement with Facebook, one that did little to deter the company from engaging in the same old data tactics in the future. 
Here's Commissioner Chopra speaking to CNBC. This settlement is full of giveaways and gifts for Facebook. There's a lot for their investors to celebrate. At the end of the day, this settlement does nothing to fix the fundamental incentives of their broken behavioral advertising model. It leads to surveillance, manipulation, and all sorts of problems for our democracy and our economy. Commissioner Chopra echoed what lots of critics said, that finding one of the world's biggest digital ad sellers, a company that took in more than $70 billion in revenue that year, a $5 billion penalty, was meaningless. Slaughter, in her dissent, said she was skeptical that the terms of the settlement, without placing more limits on how Facebook collects, uses, and shares people's data, would have any meaningful disciplining effect on how the company treats data and privacy going forward. Slaughter told me she expects in future cases against companies that the FTC will move toward getting tougher remedies. In other words, restrictions and penalties that remedy the problems and violations they charge companies with. I think I think what I would say is I anticipate pushing for remedies that really get at the heart of the problem and the incentives that companies face that lead them into the illegal conduct. Um, another thing we talk about a lot as a novel remedy is the deletion of not only data, but algorithms that are built out of illegally collected data. So another important case we had this year was called Ever Album, which involved a company um, misrepresenting how it was using facial photo, photo data, facial recognition data about people. And in our order, we required them not only to delete the data that they collected, but also to delete the algorithm that they built from that data. That's really important because in models that use data to build analytical tools like algorithms, the underlying data doesn't actually become important at the end of the day. It's the tool that they build from it. Yep. The FTC has begun to force companies to kill their algorithms. And it could be just the beginning. The agency might not only demand that companies delete data they gathered through deceptive practices, but it will force them to destroy the algorithms they built with that data. That means they'd have to get rid of the complex code and data flowing through their automated systems. This really scares tech companies because in many cases, the reason they're collecting all this data in the first place is to build and feed algorithms that make automated decisions and learn as they ingest more and more information. We experience algorithms in our lives every day. When Amazon recommends products, that's an algorithm making those recommendations. When Spotify or Netflix serves up another song or film that they think you'll like, an algorithm did it. Even when we drive these days, that automatic driver assist feature that helps your car stay in a lane on the highway you guessed it, in algorithm. And the reason people give apps like Flow personal health information, like when their period starts and whether they had cramps, it's so the app and the algorithm it uses can make more accurate predictions and improve over time. Here's Rebecca Slaughter. Um, nobody talks about this, 
But that was something we required of Cambridge Analytica too. In our order against Cambridge Analytica, we required them to delete not only the data, but the algorithms that they built from the data, which was what made their tool valuable and useful. Uh, that was an important part of the outcome for me in that case. Um, and I think it'll continue to be important as we look at why are companies collecting data that they shouldn't be collecting? How can we address those incentives, not just the um, surface level practice that's problematic? Cambridge Analytica effectively shut down after that. While the FTC won't reveal specifics about how it monitors companies for compliance with its settlements, the approach was a sign of what a more aggressive FTC could have in store, especially for companies whose businesses rely on data and algorithms. Elisa Hutnick heads up the privacy and information security practice at Kelly Dry and Warren. They're a law firm that represents tech companies. She and her clients are always on the lookout for changes at the FTC that could affect their businesses. You don't want to end up with a decision by the FTC that you violated the law because that starts with often a settlement discussion and the settlement is all about changing your business practices. Where if the FTC thinks that you've done something wrong, then one of the remedies that they are very much looking at now is, can we delete some of your models and your algorithmic decision-making? Well, what? What does that do? I mean, if your model has to get erased, are you starting from scratch on some pretty substantive things? And that clearly affects the value of the business and, and really what you can do going forward. In the Flow case, the company did not have to destroy its algorithm. Even though Flow Health got caught sharing data with companies without permission, they did, as far as the FTC is concerned, have the okay from people to use the data collected from them to help it track their periods. And Flow plans to continue improving its algorithm. When the company collected $50 million in venture capital funding in September, it said it would use the money to make its app even more customized and provide users with advanced insights into their menstrual cycles and symptom patterns to help them manage and improve their health. Flow Health is still actively marketing its app, trying to get more users. It started running ads on Facebook in September, promoting an update to its app. The company is even sending swag to influencers. Hello, all. Can we discuss this box that I just received from Flow? <laughs> I'm particularly, look at this, phenomenally on my period. In July, Flo sent a goodie box to Jay Palumbo. She's a stand-up comic and women's health advocate who writes for Forbes and other publications. She told me she never did any work for Flo or promoted the company, but she tweeted out a video showing off the gifts she got from them. So even though Flo Health was charged with unfair and deceptive data sharing, the company doesn't seem to have missed a beat. They even have a podcast. This is Your Body, Your Story, a podcast by Flow. But it's not just privacy issues people criticize the FTC for being too weak on. 
They also say the agency is ineffectual when it comes to its other main area of oversight, antitrust and competition, or ensuring market fairness. Put it this way, it's not difficult to find articles or like interviews with pundits calling the FTC a do-nothing agency, one that has failed to protect people when it comes to everything from pharma price gouging to insufficient penalties for tech companies. The FTC previously had been a fairly toothless agency in going up against some of these big tech companies. But that seems to be changing. And there's one person in particular who is pushing for that change. Lena Khan. This was a, a, a sort of oh wow moment for me when I saw the name Lena Khan this morning. Tell us a little bit about why Lena Khan is, is such a big deal and why uh, tech companies might be a little nervous about this news. This was a controversial move led by the new FTC chair, Lena Khan, during her first public meeting, and it could signal more aggressive action, especially against big tech in the future. The Federal Trade Commission, run by Biden Democrats who want to fix systemic racism, people who want your business to fail, Soros-backed individuals, Facebook is seeking the recusal of FTC chair Lena Khan as the agency... In part two of Kill Your Algorithm, we'll learn more about why this former progressive law school professor ruffled big tech feathers even before she was named as chair of the FTC. We'll talk about some of the FTC's latest moves and how they could rein in excessive data collection that propels tech power. And we'll analyze why the FTC's move into more partisan political territory could backfire. That's it for our first episode of our two-part series. Special thanks to our producer, Sarah Patterson, and to Portland, Oregon, multi-instrumentalist and songwriter, D. Reeves Kurtwright, for supplying our killer music. You can find him on most streaming platforms. 